All right, we're going to get started tonight. Good to see each one of you here. Looks like uh, most of you that were in the marriage class, uh, maybe one or two extra that uh, are here. I'm extremely excited tonight about the, uh, the subject we're going to be talking about for the next eight weeks, Biblical Principles for Financial Success. Uh, I wanted to start tonight with a couple of testimonials because I, I put on Facebook that I was excited about the class tonight and uh, got a couple of responses. And here's one. I'm not going to mention the name, but it says, uh, Pastor, I, I took one of your financial classes about three years ago, and it was eye-opening and life-changing. We were in a hole, a deep hole, with credit cards. And in just a few months from now, we will be credit card debt-free. Thank you so much for teaching these financial classes. And then another response uh, says, I echo what, and gives, gives the name of the person, but I echo what they said. It's amazing how actually doing what you hear will improve your life. So uh, a couple of testimonials from... Uh, uh, people that have been in my financial classes uh, uh, in the past. And uh, also, I should have uh, read another gentleman who doesn't go to church here anymore. They moved away, but uh, he, uh, he's kind of a little kind of, kind of smart aleck. He's a good guy, but he just said he just kind of reiterated some of the things he knew I was going to say tonight and in the eight weeks, kind of put it in a, in a nutshell. I said, well, at least you got some of what I said, and uh, at least you were listening. So but I encourage you, even as I did in the marriage class, not just to be a hearer, not just to listen and hear some good stuff, but actually put into practice what you, what you hear, because I promise you, your life can be drastically changed and different uh, if you get your financial uh, situation uh, and your financial life under, under control. Somebody said, uh, whoever said that money can't buy happiness obviously didn't know where to shop. Well, here's what I've come to believe. Although I do not believe that money can buy happiness. I do not believe money can buy happiness. But I do believe that the lack of money or the mismanagement of money uh, can cause a lot of unhappiness. Money in and of itself cannot buy happiness, but I believe that the lack of money or the mismanagement of money or stress with money uh, can cause a whole lot of unhappiness. Being broke isn't the only cause of unhappiness, but it does its fair share in contributing to it. Uh, by the way, guess what the number one problem is in marriage? Is it the mother-in-law? No, it's money. It's money. The lack of or mismanagement of money is the number one problem in marriage, according to the marriage experts. Over 50% of people who have been divorced say that financial problems was a major contributing factor to their divorce. Sometimes, if not most of the time, the problem with money is not a lack of money, but the mismanagement of money. Fact of the matter is, I've, I've uh, known people that had a six-figure income that struggled to pay their bills. They made over $100,000 a year and still struggled in the area of finance. I remember a man who was in my church a few years ago, not this one, but another church that I pastored. Uh, one Sunday night, a group of us were going uh, uh, to a place to eat after church for fellowship. And he always went, and I, and I noticed he wasn't coming. And I asked him, I said, you're not coming out to, to so-and-so place to eat tonight after service? You're not coming out to fellowship? He said, no. He said, Pastor, I... Uh, me and my family can't go tonight. Oh, I said, I'm sorry you can't go. I said, how come you can't go? He said, we're financially embarrassed. Well, fact of the matter is that I knew that that man made more money than anybody in the entire church, and yet he couldn't go out and have a hamburger after church because he was financially 
embarrassed. How many know that if you make $100,000 a year and spend $120,000 a year, you're still broke? Right? You're still broke. Uh, You might look better, and you might eat better, and you might play better than the average broke person, but the fact of the matter is you're still broke. You still struggle, and you still experience financial stress. For the next eight Wednesday nights, we're going to talk about money. The Bible talks about money. The disciples talked about money. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about any other subject. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined? I think if Jesus talked more about money than he did about anything else, if he talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined, I believe that it's a very important subject and perhaps we ought to be talking about it. So, I'm going to be spiritual uh, these next eight weeks, but I'm also going to be very, very practical. Much of what I have to say uh, in the next eight weeks will come from a book called The Solomon Secret. This book suggests seven principles of financial success from King Solomon, who in his prime and in his glory days was said to be the richest and wisest man to ever live. Perhaps even to this day, the richest and wisest man to ever live. Bruce Fleet, the author of this book, says that Solomon's net worth was more than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett's combined. That's pretty stinking rich, right? Much that I have to say, I've said before, although I look around and I see most of you are new to our church or relatively new, and so maybe you'll be hearing some of this stuff for the first time. I see one or two that have been around for several years. I see one, a couple that have been around longer than I've been around So, uh, in this church. So, uh, so I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. Uh, much that I've said before, I'll say again. Uh, I have eight weeks to say it so I can be much more detailed. All right, learn this lesson. Learn this lesson about money. Here it is. Don't take financial advice from a broke person. Sounds, it sounds simple. It sounds, okay, we all know, but why do we do it? Why do we do it? Don't take financial advice from a broke person. Hey, you know Uncle Ed? You know Uncle Ed, don't you? We all have an Uncle Ed. Uh, You know, Uncle Ed might be a really nice uncle. And he probably has some value uh, to add to your life. And uh, and Uncle Ed um, probably has some wisdom. Uh, He probably has some wisdom in some areas uh, of his life. But if Uncle Ed is broke... If Uncle Ed lives paycheck to paycheck, if Uncle Ed is in debt up to his eyeballs, then here's what I encourage you to do. Love Uncle Ed. Respect Uncle Ed. Be kind to Uncle Ed. But don't take advice from Uncle Ed. Because if he can't even run his own finances, why in the world would you look to him for financial advice? So don't take financial advice from somebody uh, that's broke. Don't take financial advice from someone unless they are doing very, very well in this area. Even if it's your own mother and father. The Bible says that you are to honor your father and your mother. And you should. Even if they're not honorable, you should still honor them because they are your mother and your father. And the Bible tells you to honor them. But just because you honor them, if mom and dad's broke, if mom and dad's messed up in this area, love mom and dad, respect mom and dad, honor mom and dad, but by all means, don't repeat what mom and dad did financially. Amen? Most people have some wisdom. Just because a person has wisdom in one area of life doesn't necessarily mean that they have wisdom in every area of life. You might go to one person 
uh, for financial advice, but go to somebody else uh, for advice in marriage or uh, in some other, for some other subject. So be very, very careful who you lend your ear to. Make sure they have their life in order in the particular area that you need help in before you go to them or listen to them. Now, everything that I'm going to teach you in the next eight weeks will have its roots in the Word of God. These are biblical principles for financial success. We're going to see what Solomon had to say. Again, the richest man to ever live. So surely he knew about finances. So we're going to see what Solomon has to say. We're going to see what Jesus had to say. Hey, we're going to see what Dave Ramsey has to say. How many know Dave, about Dave Ramsey? Of course, yeah, everybody knows Dave Ramsey. I endorse Dave Ramsey. Uh, he's got some good stuff to say. Hey, we're going to hear about what Solomon had to say. We're going to hear what Jesus had to say. We're going to hear a little bit about what Dave Ramsey had to say. There's a guy uh, that I first started listening to who was uh, uh, Larry Burkett. Is that was his name? Yeah, I think Larry Burkett. He's dead now, isn't he? But anyway, I think. Anyway, his books are still around. Still got good stuff. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and then you're going you're gonna to hear some of my thoughts on the matter. My thoughts on the matter. Okay? I don't claim to be an expert, but I have studied and read many, many books on this subject. Studied, studied it uh, uh, in detail. Uh, I have 42 plus years of living on my own and and, uh, you know, when you, when you go out on your own at the age of 17, you know, uh, when you're just 17 years old and, and you get married, and then three months later uh, you pass, start pastoring a church, you better learn something, okay? And uh, so uh, I learned a lot of things the hard way, but I've learned a lot of lessons. And I've got 42 years of living on my own, 42 years of handling my personal finances, 42 years of handling the finances of the churches that I've pastored. Uh, I preach and practice debt-free living. What I'm going to share with you is not just theory. It's not just something that I've read in books. It's not just something that I went to seminars and, and took notes on. I have fleshed out what I'm talking about. I've lived this. And I just want you to know I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you that, that I live what I preach, okay? I live what I preach, and I live what I teach. And so my wife and I have practiced debt-free living now uh, for uh, over 20 years. For over 20 years, we have practiced debt-free living. I want to tell you that there is nothing more liberating. There is nothing more liberating than being debt-free. I want to tell you that debt-free living will open doors for you that nothing else could ever open for you. I want to tell you that I'm sitting in this seat right now as the pastor of the Grace Place one of the major reasons is because my wife and I was debt-free. We were debt-free. When this church, we came to this church, the church was bankrupt. The church was spending 5000 a month more than they were taking in. The, the church could not pay me a living wage. All right? There were pastors that thought they wanted to come to this church, but when they found out what the church didn't have and what the church couldn't pay them, they weren't willing to come. Not bragging. I'm telling you that we came to this church one of the reasons, and one of the reasons God could send us to this church was because we were debt-free. And because we were debt-free, uh, we, we could live on a whole lot less, okay? And we could survive, not thrive, but we could survive on what they had to offer us because we were debt-free and only because we were debt-free. Now, let me tell you, fast forward 12 years, we're well compensated, we're blessed, we, we are well taken care of, we have zero complaints. But I'm telling you that, that, that debt-free living, there's nothing, nothing more uh, liberating than that, and it will open doors for you and give you opportunities that you could otherwise never have. And God can use you in an incredible, incredible way. This is one of the reasons I am so passionate. I am so passionate about this subject is because I believe that it can totally revolutionize your life. It can revolutionize your marriage, your ministry, it can do incredible things through you and for you if you'll get your finances in order and especially if you get yourself out of debt. All right? Amen. So I practice, preach and practice debt-free living. Uh, 
Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22 and 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. Solomon said, if you are in debt, you are a slave. I thought slavery was abolished, didn't you? Didn't they abolish slavery? Didn't they do that? Well, maybe they did in theory, but... uh, but Solomon says, if you're in debt, you're a slave. If you're in debt, you're a slave. And see, because see, debt tells you uh, when you have to get up in the morning. Debt tells you when you have to get up in the morning. And, and it tells you when you get up in the morning, it tells you where you have to go <laughs> to work. <laughs> you have to go because you've got debt that you've got to pay. And so debt tells you, it mandates what time you have to get up because you got to get up on time to get to work and it tells you when you get up where you have to go and then, and then it tells you how long you have to stay there. It doesn't just tell you what time you have to get up. It doesn't just tell you where you have to go. It tells you how long you have to stay there. And then it tells you where you have to go from there. Because it might tell you that after you get through punching out at your first job, you got to rush around, rush over to the other part of town and clock in for your second job. And it tells you how long you're going to have to stay there. And then it might, if you're in bad enough debt, it might tell you you got to clock out there and go to your third job. Sound like a lot of fun? Debt tells you where you can and cannot live. Well, I'd sure like to live over Well, I can't because i got all this debt, so I can't live over there. Debt tells you where you can and where you cannot live. It tells you uh, what you can and cannot eat. You want T-bone steak, but you have to, you have to settle for uh, a Texas round steak. You know what that is, don't you? Baloney. It tells you what you can eat, what you can't eat. It tells you where you can play and where you can't play. Right? Does it not? I need a little help here. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like we're what? Sounds like we're what? Slaves. We're slaves. The borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower borrower, the person in debt, is a slave. Indebted people drive around in big fancy cars. They eat out at nice restaurants. They live in gated communities. Well, of course they live in gated communities. That's where you put prisoners and slaves in a cage. You put them behind bars. Looks can be very deceiving. I'll never forget when I was a little boy. We had some family friends, and they lived in a big house, and they drove a big old Lincoln Continental, one of those town cars, one of those that was about 40 feet long, you know. And I'll never forget being mesmerized as a little kid, and I'll never forget thinking about those people. And I remember telling my dad one day, man, I don't even remember what those people's names were. I'll call them the Joneses. But I'll never forget. I was just a little boy, and I said to my dad one day, I said, I said wow, I sure wish we were rich like the Joneses. And my dad just chuckled, and he said, oh, son, he said, they're not rich. They're just in debt. I didn't know what my daddy meant, what debt was. Didn't have a clue what debt was. But listen, indebted people drive around in fancy cars. They eat out in nice restaurants. They live in gated communities. But looks can be very deceiving. They do it, they just, but they're still a slave. They're still in debt. They just look a little better doing it. Slaves look pretty good these days. But according to Solomon, they're still a slave. The borrower is servant to the lender. Let's talk about normal today. How many of you like to be normal? Like to be normal? Okay. I don't think you want to be normal. I tricked you. Because normal today is broke and in debt. That's normal. That's normal. 
How many want to be normal? No takers now? Normal today is broke and in debt. Normal today is having so many payments that your money is spent before you even get it. Before you even get your paycheck, it's already spent. It's going to the house payment, it's going to the car payment, it's going to the credit card debt, it's going to Sears, it's going to JCPenney's, right? It's spent before you even get it. How many want to be normal? I'll never forget something totally, totally revolutionized my life. When I was just about 17, 18 years old, maybe even 16, 17 years old, I was hanging drywall. I, my dad was a pastor of small churches and had a drywall business. At the age of 14, my dad put us boys into, work, uh, into his business, and we worked like men. From the time I was 14, I, I, I hung drywall. That's very, very difficult, hard slave work. Okay? Back-breaking work. And, uh, and, and I'll never forget that I asked my boss for an advance on my pay. And he gave me an advance on my pay. And I went out and spent that. I don't even remember what I wanted the advance for, but I went out and I paid the, and I spent the money. The next few days, I realized, not only am I doing back-breaking work, not only am I sweating profusely, not, not only am I working my rear end off at the end of the week I'm getting nothing for it because I've already gotten paid and it's one thing to work your tail end off if you're going to get a check on Friday but I'm working my tail off and come Friday I'm getting nothing because I've already got my check I've already got my advance I learned a valuable lesson about debt right then and there. And I made up my mind right then and right there. I'm not going to get deep in debt because I can't stand working for nothing. And that's what so many people, the majority, the normal people today are basically working for nothing. At the end of the day, on the 15th or the 30th or the 1st or on Friday or whenever they get their paycheck, they might as well not even get their paycheck because it's already spent before they ever get it. Normal today is owing ten to fifteen, sixteen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000 on credit cards for hamburgers you've already eaten. And clothes you've already worn out. And trips you've already taken. And all you're able to do is barely make the minimum payments on the credit card. Who wants to be normal? No wonder Jesus said more about money than he did about any other subject. Maybe, just maybe, we ought to be talking more about it. Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else so that later you can live like no one else. And this is what I'm going to challenge you for the next eight weeks is, is to live like no one else. I'm, I'm going to challenge you uh, to draw the line in the sand. I'm going to challenge you to have your Popeye moment. I've had alls I can stands and I can't stands no more. I'm going to challenge you to do something absolutely radical to get yourself where you need to be financially so you can set yourself up for success in the future. You're going, I'm going to challenge you to sacrifice now so that you can enjoy your life later. Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else so that later you can live like no one else. I say drastic situations call for drastic measures. I say, if you're in a hole, stop digging. If you're in a hole, stop digging and build yourself a ladder. And climb the ladder and climb out of the hole that you are in. If you're in a financial hole, you can do one of three things. One of three things if you're in a financial hole. 
First thing you can do, if you want to, you can just sit down in the hole and pout. Just sit down in that financial hole and pout. And just feel sorry for yourself. Wah, wah, wah. And just blame everybody but yourself. Blame the economy. Blame a layoff. Blame your parents because they didn't teach you. Just sit down in the hole and pout and whine and cry and feel sorry for yourself and blubber all over yourself and, and just blame everybody. See how well that does for you. See if that helps any. Second thing you could do is you can dig the hole a little deeper. Yeah, just dig the hole a little bit deeper. Hey, just keep on doing what you are doing. Tell yourself, hey, hey, the hole is so deep, I'll never get out of it anyway, so I might as well throw caution to the wind and just keep on digging, man. I might as well just have a big old party and just... Man, just dig that hole deeper and deeper. And so, and so how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to just keep on borrowing money, and I'm just going to keep on spending more money than I make. Yeah, yeah. It's worked so well for me. It's just worked so well for me, you know. Uh, it's just really helped my marriage, you know. Uh, it's just really helped, you know, my stress load. It's really helped me sleep at night. Really been good for my ulcer, you know. Been really good for my nerves, you know. It's just really, you know. Yeah, it's just, you know, just done so well for me. I think I'll just keep on, keep on digging the hole just a little bit deeper. I, I'm going to keep up the lie. I'm going to keep up the facade. I'm just going to keep putting a fresh coat of paint on those old rotten boards. Hey, it looks good on the surface. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, the person that you envy, because they live in a better house than you do and drive a better car than you do and go on better vacations than you do and look better than you do, and you envy them, there's a big percentage. There's a, there's a great, uh, uh, it's highly possible uh, that it's nothing but a big old facade. They don't own anything. They don't own that house. That house owns them. They don't own their cars. Their cars own them. They don't have a life. They're slaves. They may not even be paying for them right now. They may be, you know, just a few months away from foreclosure. They're just hanging on by the skin of their teeth. And you're envying them. Either that or, you know, they just, they are so stressed that they have zero life and zero marriage. And here you are envying them, envying them, and they have nothing to be envied. Oh, you can just keep on digging the hole. Just keep on playing pretend. I'm okay. I'm okay. Just keep telling yourself that lie as your hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Or, number three, you can build yourself a ladder. That's what this class is all about. You can build yourself a ladder. And you can climb that ladder, and eventually, it won't be easy. It won't be quick. But eventually, you can climb out of that hole. And if you're drastic and, 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 uh, enough and, and, uh, you know, and you're passionate about it, it, it could be turned around fairly easy. It really could, and fairly quickly, a lot quicker than you think it could. Not living the way you're living, there'll be some drastic measures, but it can happen. And then here's some good advice. Once you do get out of the hole, cover it up. <laughs> cover it up. See, too many people climb out of bad situations only to fall back in the same hole again. Ever seen anybody get out of an abusive situation? And go right back into another abusive situation. Ever seen anybody jump out of the frying pan into the fire? Happens more often than not, doesn't it? Too many people climb out of bad situations only to fall back in the same hole again. So 
build you a ladder, climb out of the hole, and then when you get out of the hole, cover it up. And the ladder that I'm talking about is a plan. The ladder is a plan. And this is the first of Solomon's seven secrets of financial success. Develop a plan. Now, there's more than one plan. Uh, If I were to build myself a house, there's not just one plan to building a house, right? There's all kinds of plans. There are many plans to choose from. Although there are many plans to building a house, nearly every plan is basically the same. It's mostly cosmetics and details that are different, correct? There's more than one plan for debt retirement, more than one plan for financial success, but really they are all basically the same. And the simpler the plan is, the better. So I'm going to give you a very, very, very simple plan. Here's a plan for financial success. Number one, pay God first. Pay God first. Tithe, Malachi chapter 3. Tithe, pay God first. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And I'm not going to hype harp about tithing this whole eight weeks, so don't stress about that. But I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. It's big. It's major. It's major. And we'll tell you why. Again, this is God's word, not my word. Number two, pay yourself second. Why do we pay everybody but the one working? Why is it that everybody gets paid and I'm the one doing the work? I pay God and I pay everybody else and I don't get anything. That's stupid, isn't it? And I did all the work. Pay God first. Pay yourself second. We'll talk about that. That is saving and investing. Second. Get yourself a $1,000 emergency fund. Scrape together $1,000. Have a garage sale. Sell something. Do something. Get yourself an emergency fund of $1,000. Then do your best to get uh, three to six months of of, of salary scraped together, so you'll have an emergency fund. And then the third thing is spend less than you make. Wow, that is rocket science, isn't it? Spend less than you make. If you'll pay God first, if you'll pay yourself second through saving and investing, and then if you'll spend, live on less than you make, If you'll do these three things consistently over a long period of time, you will become debt-free and maybe even become wealthy. Proverbs 21 and 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. In the Message Bible, it says, Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. All right, you might say, Well, Pastor, what if I'm in debt? What if I have dug myself a deep financial hole? What would my ladder look like? Help me with my plan. All right, gladly. Here's, here it is. Number one, tithe. Number one, tithe. Get under God's blessing and get out from under the financial curse. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 says, Will a man rob God? What an incredible Incredible question. Can you imagine somebody robbing God? Can you imagine somebody getting a ski mask and a 38, you know, and getting up behind the throne of God and saying, stick them up? How silly. Will a man rob God? But he answers his own question. God says, will a man rob God? But God says, yet you have robbed me. What? God says, you have robbed me. And God says, and he anticipates our question. He says, in what way have we robbed you, God? How have we robbed you? How could we rob you? And God answers the question. In tithe. And in offering. God says that if you don't tithe, you've robbed God. God says if you don't pay tithe, you are a thief. I didn't say that. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Don't throw anything at me. I'm just the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. I didn't make the rules, and I don't even enforce the rules. I only tell you what the rules are. It's up to you. You can obey or disobey. Let me ask you this. Let me do a uh, Dr. Phil thing, if you've been uh, in disobedience in this area, how's that working for you? How's it working for you? Will a man rob God? You, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithe and offering. You are cursed with a curse. God said that. I didn't say that. God said it. You are cursed with a curse because you have robbed me. 
God says bring all the tithe. How much? Part of it? Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. I'll do what? I'll open for you the windows of heaven. How many think that there's a recession in heaven? You think they're having a hard time financially in heaven? Do you think God's struggling? Notice God didn't say, I'll open for you the windows of the, you know, my storehouse on earth. No, he said, I will open for you the windows of heaven, and I will pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And God said, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I want you to notice two things that God promised tithers. He promised tithers divine provision and divine protection. He said, if you'll tithe, God said, I'll open for you the windows of heaven and I will pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That's divine provision. And then he said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What is that? Divine protection. had a friend of mine, a man in my church a few years ago in another church I pastored. And uh, he said uh, he was kind of offended because one of the, a man at the, a man, uh, I think it was a co- his cousin, made fun of him because he tithed. Made fun of him because he tithed. And he said, uh, so, he said, you pay that protection money? He said, you pay protection money? You know what protection money is, you know? You know, down in the hood, you know? Uh, they, they, they will protect you if you'll pay them money uh, under the counter, Right? You know, in a bad place, you know, where lots of robberies and, and all bad stuff goes on. Uh, you know, the people in the gangs, they'll go to the store people and they'll say, we'll protect your place and we won't rob you if you'll give us money every week. It's called protection money. And this, and this friend of mine in my church, his cousin made fun of him and said he called it and said, you pay that protection money. And he come to me and he's all bummed about it and feeling all down about it. And I said, Shoot, I'll pay protection money. Call it, that is what it is. God said, I'll protect you. Amen? Hey, if God's going to protect my stuff, I'm happy to pay protection money. Amen? I I don't pay tithe just for provision or protection. I pay tithes because, first of all, God said to do it. Second of all, I pay tithes because I love God. Third of all, I pay tithes because I know it takes money to do the Lord's work, and I think the Lord's work is worthy of support. And I pay tithes because I'm a part of the family, and I think if I'm part of the family, I ought to contribute to the family. Amen? But I don't have a problem with protection money. It sounds like a pretty good deal to me. I'm not offended by it. I'm telling you, the best investment you can make is, amen, to tithe and get divine provision and divine protection. Hey, if you are in a deep financial hole, you desperately need God's help in getting out. Evidently, you're not doing so well on your own. You need some help. Amen. A financial curse, the Bible says, I didn't say it. The Bible says a financial curse comes on the disobedient. But the Bible says a financial blessing comes on those who obey. See, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be blessed because, 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 uh, because I'm living in obedience to God. Because I'm living in obedience to God, I'm, I, I get God's favor and I get God's blessing. Amen? And let me ask you this tonight. You know, maybe you're one that keeps asking God for more, for more, and maybe you wonder why God doesn't give you more. Let me ask you this, and I don't mean to be unkind. I just want you to think of this. I'm just trying to help you. Even if I have to be a little hard or harsh through this, if it helps you, I'm willing to do that, okay? Because I want to help you. But think about this. Why would God want to give you more if you've messed up what he already gave you? Hey, if you gave your kid a gift and they messed it up, didn't appreciate it, and, and, and didn't do well with it, why would you want to give them more? Why would God want to give us more if we messed up what he gave us already? It's not that God doesn't want to. He just knows we're going to mess up whatever he gives us. So, you know what? Here's the deal. Just stop messing it up. Start getting things right. Get it right. 
Get right in every area of your life. Get this right. Get this part of your life right. And see if the windows of heaven doesn't open over you. And see if God doesn't pour out for you blessing you cannot receive. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, he who is faithful in little will be faithful with much. And he who is unfaithful in little will be unfaithful in much. So here's what I believe. If I show God that I'm going to be faithful with a little bit that he gives me, then I think he can trust me with a little bit more. You know why I believe? Not that we have this mega church or whatever, but the average church in America runs under 100, and ours is running about 425 now. We're in about the top 10% of all churches in the whole world in attendance, and I'm the pastor. But you know what? I started 43 years ago with, uh, with uh, 13 people. You know why I believe I have 425 people? on a Sunday morning now is because I was faithful with 13 people. I prayed when I had 13 people. I studied to the best of my ability. I was just a kid, didn't really know how. But I did my best at thir- when I was 17 with 13 people that I possibly could. And because I was faithful with the 13, now God gives me 600 people to minister to right now and 425 that show up on Sunday morning. Not, I'm just saying, if you will be faithful with the little, He'll give you more, all right? All right, I'm helping you here. What would my ladder look like if I'm in debt? Number one, tithe. Get out from under the curse, get under the blessing. Number two, write out a budget. Write out a budget. This gives direction to your money. It's time that you told your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Tell your money where to go. Stop wondering where it went. See, most people don't have a clue what they spend their money on. They don't have a clue what they spend their money on. Here's a challenge. Here's here's what I want you to do in this next month, but for sure between now and next Wednesday. I want you to write down on paper where every single dollar you spend goes for. That's your homework assignment. I want you to write down on paper where every single dollar you spend goes for the next month. You will be absolutely horrified to discover all the holes that are in your pocket. Everybody look in your wallet right now and see if you got a $5 bill. Hurry, real quick, real quick. You got a $5 bill? Anybody got, everybody got a $5? You got a $5 bill? Come on, hurry, 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 because I need to do this really, really quick. You got a $5? Nobody, nobody carries cash anymore, do they? How many's got a $5 bill? You think you got a $5 bill? No, it ain't, my illustration's not going to work if you don't. A hundred and a twenty. I'll take your hundred. No, I don't. Okay. All right, let's play like it's a five. You got a dollar? Everybody got a dollar? Got any kind of money at all? Remember, hey, I'm going to get this messed up. Huh? You got a five? Give me your ten. All right, it's a twenty. All right, what do you got? Okay, now remember what you gave me, okay, because I'm not going to remember it. All right, all right. Anybody, you, got it? you don't have any money at all? No money? No, just give me your one, a one. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. You got a dollar? You ain't got... Well, just give me a bill. You got a bill? You got a bill of any kind? No bills? No bills? Not even a dollar? Good night, nurse. Hurry up, guys. I'm, I'm wasting all my time on this one. You don't have nothing? Zero? Zelch? Nada? 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 All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, okay, so, you know, $5 is not much, is it, right? $5 won't do, what will $5 buy you? Okay, it'll buy you a Starbucks. It's five bucks, right? We used to call it four bucks, now it's five bucks. Okay, that's about all it'll buy you is a, is a, is a, is a cup of, uh, maybe a latte or something, right? That's, you can't get much for five bucks, right? So we don't worry about $5, do we? We don't worry about $5. And so we get $5 here, $5, $10 isn't really much. What are you going to get for 10 bucks? I mean, it's almost, the other day I was at a fast food place, it was $10. At a fast food? What? I mean, it was $9 or something, you know? It's crazy. It's crazy. So 10 bucks isn't much either. And so we get $5 here and $10 here and $5 here and $10. We don't think it's very much either. But look how much it is. Okay, so I've got five here and i 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 got... But look here. You know what? If I gathered... And look here, and this is just a few of you people that had it. 
but, but, but look how much, and these are all fives. So here I got, you know, I got, okay, let's just do it like this. If I got five from everybody from you, I'd have five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, 100. I've spent 100 bucks, and I didn't even know it, right? Because who, what, five dollars, that ain't nothing. Oh, yeah, five dollars, that ain't nothing. Five dollars, that ain't nothing. Ten dollars, that ain't nothing. Can you get this money back to the people? I have no idea who it is. <laughs> I guarantee the ones that's got the big money didn't, didn't know who that was, all right? Does that, I mean, I just want to do a little mental picture. Does that help you a little bit? That help you a little bit? See, we think, oh, it's only $5, you know. Uh, you know, Junior's with us at the store, you know, and, you know, and he wants a candy bar, you know. Well, when I was a kid, you'd get one for a nickel, but now it's a buck, right? So it's just a dollar here. It's five here. It's four here. It's 10 here. It's 20 there. So here's your homework assignment. And, and you have no idea where your money's going. And you think you don't. You've got more money than you think you do. You've got more spendable money than you think you do. You're just not paying attention. First of all, here's, the, here's one problem. And that is, I, I don't want to exaggerate, was there more than half of the people here that didn't have not even one dollar on them? Okay. More than half of the people in this class tonight didn't even have one dollar on them. But every one of you had one of these. Every one of you had one of these. See, here's what we don't understand is that, is that and we'll talk about this more later, but uh, this thing right here can get you in a lot of trouble. I, you say, well, mine's a debit card. It don't matter. I mean, debit is better than credit, but it doesn't matter. Here's what it is. If I go through the grocery store and I, and I have $125 in my basket, and that ain't a very big basket, right? I just walk up there and I just swap my card. And it's $125. I go to Starbucks and I get me a latte and it's $4.75. I don't even know how much it is. I don't get them, but how much are they? $4.72. It don't, it don't seem any different. $5.00 seems the same as $125 because it's just a swipe of a card. So here's another challenge I have for you, especially if you are, if you're in debt and, you're, and you really need to get things together. Do it to, I know you can't do it with your house payment, maybe not your car payment, but other than that, your groceries, everything that you can, get, we'll talk about the envelope system, but pay cash for it. Because you know what? You're going to think a little more about laying down 25 bucks if it's 25, a 20 and a 5 than it is just a swipe of a card. You'll save a lot of money just because you're going to say, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. That's real money. Well, you know what? So is that swiping of that card, but you don't realize it. Does that make sense? All right. Okay, so what are you going to do uh, the next week? You're going to write down every dollar you spend, right? Every dollar you spend, you're going to write it down on a piece of paper. All right? What you spent your money on. All right, here's what you need to do. You're going to write out a budget. You're going to write out a budget. And you're going to give every dollar a name before you spend it. Every dollar a name before you spend it. Okay, so that means like, okay, my house payment is... Uh, uh, I'm going to make it, I don't know, give me a house payment. It's $1,000. My house payment is $1,000. That's not much of a house because you can't even rent a house for 1000 bucks. So there's th your house is, th your payment is 1000 bucks. okay? Your, th your house is $1,000. Okay, so you're going to write that down. House payment, $1,000. You have, uh, if you have uh, um, car payments, you know, car payment is $376.42, okay? Um, what I'm going to spend on food, what I'm going to spend on gas, what I'm going to spend on insurance, all of those things. Give every dollar a name on purpose, on paper. That's your budget. Write out every single thing, every dollar you're going to spend for, 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 for the month, all right? And, and hey, just, just, let me just throw this out here. Uh, in, I mean, look for money. You, you've got money you don't even know you have. I'll tell you where you have money you don't know you have, and that is in insurance. How long has it been since you've done, since you've, uh, done an investigation on insurance? My, uh, Sean and Krista, my son-in-law and daughter, they've been here nine months now. They're about to move out of my house. <laughs> hey, we've had a great time with them living with us. But 
it's time for them to get their own place, okay? And they're getting it. And they're, they're signing papers tomorrow on their new house, okay? So I asked Sean, I said, Sean, where do you get your insurance? He told me. I said, okay. And I told him, I said, try this place. Try my agent and see, okay? He tried my, just, just one phone call, just one phone call saved him um, about $400 uh, on insurance for his house. One phone call. You have money you don't know about. Might be an insurance you're overpaying. Okay? Shop around. Shop things around. Shop everything around. You know, if you're trying to get out of debt, if you have financial, you know, there's better places to shop for groceries. Okay, Walmart's a zoo, okay? But it's cheaper. So stop buying at Albertsons and go to Walmart and fight the zoo, but you're going to save some money, right? Huh? Okay. All right. All right, here's some practical things. Your house payment or rent, your house payment or rent should not be more than 25% of your regular take-home pay. Your house payment or rent should not be more than 25% of your regular take-home pay, not including overtime. If your payment is based or rent is based on overtime, what's going to happen when the boss cuts overtime out? You're going to be in trouble, aren't you? So it should be based on 25, no more than 25% of your regular take-home pay. If your house payment is 30% or more of your take-home pay, you have too much house. You need to have a garage sale. No, I don't mean throw a few unused items in the garage and sell it. I mean sell the garage and the house that is attached to it. You need to sell the house and downsize. The only other... Uh, the only alternative is if you're totally out of debt in every other area, then you could probably handle that. But most of you are not, and you're, 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 you have too much house. Number three, we're giving you a ladder. Use the envelope system. The envelope system. How many are familiar with the envelope system? All right, the envelope system is where you put, you get all these envelopes, and you put a name on each envelope. Groceries, gas, clothing, entertainment whatever, all these categories, and you put X amount of money, you figure out how much money you need to budget and put the actual money in these envelopes. And so when you go to the grocery store, you take what envelope will you? The grocery store envelope. And you buy groceries out of that grocery envelope money. What happens when you're out of money in that grocery envelope? Do you steal from one of the other envelopes? No? What do you do? <laughs> you ask Jesus to bless and break and multiply the loaves and fish, right? You add some water to the beans, right? You have a lot of sandwiches. You do better next month, right? Or next week or whatever, okay? Hey, don't go hungry, especially don't let your kids go hungry. It'll take a little while. You won't, you won't figure it all out the first week or maybe not even the first month. It may take a little bit of time to figure out exactly what, what needs to be in those envelopes, okay? Put gas money in an envelope. When you fill up your gas, what do you pay it with? Do you swipe your card? No. No. I'm, I'm saying what you should do. No. What do you do? You take money out of that envelope, right? Do you take it out of the grocery money? No. You take it out of that. What happens when you run out of money in the gas envelope? You, you, yeah. Okay. Uh, if it's at work, you better steal from another one. You better get to work, all right? But you've been running around too much, right? Clothing money in an envelope, entertainment money in an envelope, and that ought not be very much in that envelope. If, 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 if you're in debt, and you're, especially if you are seriously in debt, uh, your entertainment should be uh, figuring ways to get out of debt, all right? Shouldn't be going to the movies and buying $10 popcorn, okay? Hello? Once the money is gone in any given envelope, you have to wait for next month's budget or next week's whenever you get paid before you spend money in that area. might take two or three months to get the amount right. Make adjustments as you go along. And trim your budget down to bare bones. Live as cheaply as you possibly can so you can put as much money 
as you can towards your debt so you can climb your way out of the financial hole that you are in. Not forever. Say not forever. I'm not teaching you how to live. When I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you this is not forever. I'm telling you it's temporary until you can get your finances in order. Say temporary. Just until you get your debts paid off and your finances under control. And stop eating out so much. Stop eating out so much. Uh, especially if you're in, uh, in big-time debt. Uh, fix stuff at home and uh, eat leftovers and, and eat more sandwiches and eat cheaper. And Dave, Dave Ramsey says rice and beans. When you get tired of rice and beans, eat beans and rice. Hey, what's he saying? Sacrifice in the present to guarantee a successful future. Pay now, play later. And then number four, and I've got to hurry here tonight because I'm going I'm to keep you five minutes past time, not 15 minutes like I normally do. Only five minutes over tonight, okay? List all your debts starting with the smallest and ending with the largest. List all of your debts starting with the smallest and ending with the largest. And then take your smallest debt and pay that small, put as much money as you can extra money, have a garage sale, uh, find money from making that calling making, and saving some money on, in, on, on uh, insurance, find some money uh, by, because you're keeping track of it now and you're no longer, you know, going to Starbucks every day on your way to work. And, you know, uh, you're, you're finding money different ways. You're seeing where it's falling out of you. You know, you're, you're, you're discovering that you've been frivolous with your money and you're finding where some of it's going and you're getting a hold of that and get a hold of that and, and get all of that extra money that you can and do whatever you can to get a little bit of extra money and if somebody gives you money or you get money for your birthday, don't go out and buy you a birthday present. None of that kind of stuff. Get everything, do whatever you can to get extra money and throw it at that lowest debt you have. And then once that little bit, that little debt is paid for, then take what you've been paying on that debt and take the next largest debt, uh, smallest debt. Now it is your smallest because the other one's paid for. And, and, and you've been paying a little bit on that. Take that money, but then take what you've been paying over here and put that on that and throw everything you can at that. And then when that little debt is paid for, now you've got two little debts that are paid for, but you've got money that you've been, were paying on these two little debts now that you can put on this third debt. And all of a sudden, you know, Dave Ramsey calls it the snowball effect, where it starts out with this little bitty, you know, just a little bit of snow, but you keep rolling it and you keep rolling it. And every time you apply it to the next debt and the next debt and the next, and all of a sudden you got this big old snowball, all of a sudden you got a quite a bit of money that you're throwing at this debt. And all of a sudden it's, you know what? hey man we're on a roll here and we got momentum big mo is going in our favor now and all of a sudden we're seeing ourselves make some really good strides toward paying off our debt it'll work it work if you'll work it okay um the problem with most people today is uh, when they get one debt paid off they go out and get a new debt to replace the old debt don't do that when they get a raise in pay, they raise their standard of living. Don't do that. Apply it to your debt. They buy a new car or a bigger house or eat out at nicer or more expensive places. They, they, uh, they, they raise their standard of living. Instead, when you get a raise or a bonus or unexpected money, apply it to your debt. Spend less and use what you were spending to pay down your debt. Number five, evaluate your cars. Oh, the men are going to hate me for this one. See, America is in love with their cars, especially the men, especially the men. Uh, when I was young, I traded cars every time I needed a new set of tires. I couldn't stand buying tires, so I just went out and bought me some new, a new car. Not a new one, but another one. Stupid. Stupid. Stupid is as stupid does. Okay. Uh, hey, listen, it's okay to drive a nice car. It's not okay to have a nice car driving you. Okay? The reality is automobiles are the worst investment there are. Every time the tire rolls around, the value drops. We need to look at cars for what they are supposed to be, 
Transportation. Say transportation. Not as status symbols. Don't forget the car replaced the what? The horse and buggy. The car replaced the horse and buggy. The car is for transportation. The car is to get you from here to there. The car is to get you from point A to point, point B. It's transportation. It's not a status symbol. Now listen, if you have plenty of money, if you're generous with God, you're under His blessing and not under His curse, if you're practicing debt-free living, drive whatever you want. Drive whatever you want. Nothing wrong with driving a nice car. But if you are deep in debt and struggle financially and you're driving an expensive car or an expensive, have expensive cars, let me try to be nice here. I have some swamp land I'd love to sell you. Evaluate your cars. Unless you're debt-free, never buy a new car. Unless you're debt-free, never buy a new car. Dave Ramsey says, unless you have a million dollars, never buy a new car. That's what he says. New cars depreciate a lot the very first year. Buy a two- or three-year-old car with low mileage and not mu- for not, more, not much more than half of its original price. Hey, cars today are designed to run 200,000 miles. I have 172,000 miles on my car. I would not be afraid to get in in my car tomorrow and drive to California. It has 172,000 miles on it. It's paid for. It's paid for the day I bought it. It ain't driving me. I'm driving it. Okay? It was a nice little vehicle 10 years ago when I bought it. And it's still a good vehicle. And I'm probably going to replace it in the next couple of years. Could I buy a better car? Sure. Could I drive a nicer car? Sure. But it's transportation. I'd rather spend my money on something else. I'd rather invest it. I'd rather invest it. Okay? If you're in a deep financial hole and you are serious about getting out, sell the cars. Sell the cars, get out from under the payments, and buy a couple of old beaters and pay cash for them. Maybe an old car from an older person who didn't drive it much. Just to the post office and to the grocery store. It's old, but it's still dependable. Pay cash for it and free up the hundreds of dollars you were paying on payments every single month. Use those hundreds of dollars each month to help you pay down debt. Temporary. I'm not asking you to drive an old beater. The rest of your life, I'm asking you to drive an old beater for a little while till you can get out of debt. Till you can buy a car and you can drive a car instead of having a car drive you. Once you pay off your debt, save up the money to pay cash for a nicer used car. You say, Pastor, what are people going to think and what are they going to say when they see me sell my latest and greatest and see me drive up in an old clunker? Who cares? This is one of the reasons you're in the financial hole you're in. You've been trying to be normal. You've been trying to keep up with everybody else. But normal is broken in debt. Normal is having more outgo than income. Normal is a revolving door of financial stress. Who wants to be normal? All right, this eight weeks, we're going to talk about Solomon's Secrets to Financial Success, seven principles of financial freedom. The first principle that we're talking about tonight is you must develop a plan. You must build yourself a ladder in order to climb up out of the financial hole that you have dug for yourself. Alan Lakin, and I'm closing here, Alan Lakin uh, wrote in his book, How to Get Control of Your Time and Your Life. He wrote, Planning is bringing the future into the present so that you can do something about it now.
Listen to that. If you've tuned me out, tune back in. Planning is bringing the future into the present so you can do something about it now. Let me tell you this, and I'm going to close. Have we filled in all the blanks? We haven't. Huh? All the front, but not the back. We'll pick up there next week, but I'm going to close right here. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to get in your face. We'll get in your face. You are planning your future right now. Right now. Tonight, you are planning your financial future. Tonight, whether you decide to blow this class off or not, you decide not to go back to this class again, or whether you decide that, you know what, I'm going to hear some tough things, it ain't going to be pretty, you know, and there might be some blood on the highway, but I, I am making up my mind that I'm changing my destiny. You, you are tonight, you're, you're deciding your financial destiny tonight. Right now, I'm making you decide. Your financial des- destiny is being decided right now. You say, Pastor, you're being ultra dramatic. I am not. You are making up your mind right now. So 10 years from now, don't come whining to me. I'm being really tough, okay? But don't go whining to anybody if you're in financial straits 10 years from now. Because if you are, you made your decision tonight. So I'm challenging you, even being rude, in challenging you to make the right decision. Draw the line in the sand. Have your Popeye moment. Had all I can stand, I can't stand no more. Tired of the stress. Start, tired of the, of, of, of the hassle of creditors. Tired of my marital uh, fights over money. I'm tired of it. And I'm drawing the line in the sand and I'm making my decision tonight that my future is going to look better than my past. My future is going to be incredible. My present and my past is kind of cruddy, but my future is going to be great because I'm going to get the principles and I'm going to get a plan and I'm going to work it and I'm going to change my future and I'm going to change my destiny. I hope you make that. I hope you make that decision. I'm being really, really strong and hard on purpose. Father, I just pray tonight, Father, God, that you'll take these principles, Lord, that we're going to teach. Lord, for this one that we did tonight, God, I pray that, that, that we will not leave this class and just say, well, you know, Pastor was a little bit, you know, a little bit out there tonight. Uh, we won't just leave this class and say, well, that was okay. We won't just leave this class and say, well, that was some good stuff. Maybe I'll think about it. God, I just pray, Lord, that we'll leave this class, Lord, with a fresh determination that I'm going to do something. I'm not just going to be a hearer of the word. I'm going to be a doer of the word so that I can have the effects and have the blessing that the word and the principles of the word of God applied in my life will, uh, will produce for me, Father. Give us, the, the Lord, uh, uh, a tenacious spirit a bulldog spirit, Father, of wanting to make drastic changes in our life, Father. Father, so we can, Lord, so our life can be, our future can be better than our past. Father, help us to set ourselves up for, for success and not for, and not for failure. In Jesus' name, amen.